Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webman with Right Response Ministries, and the title of this episode is Butchered Babies, Harvested Eggs, Rented Wombs, and Sterilized Adolescents. My special guest today is Delano Squires from The Blaze. I'm going to quote him right here. This is from one of his recent articles, and this is specifically what we're going to be talking about in this episode today. Delano writes this, according to progressives, societies don't suffer from too much sin. Their problem is not enough Caesar. They believe the desires of adults should always take precedence over the needs of children. This is the dystopian future of butchered babies, harvested eggs, rented wombs, and sterilized adolescents. Charles Darwin would probably describe this entire agenda as artificial selection, because there is nothing natural about a species that sees the death and destruction of its own young as a sign of social progress. The denial of objective truth is a rejection of God. There is a straight line from biological evolution to political revolution to cultural devolution. That's Delano Squires, our guest for today on Theology Applied. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries, and here I am today again for the second time joined by our special guest, Delano Squires. Delano, introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Delano Squires. Uh, I write, contribute to The Blaze. I appear twice a week on Fearless with Jason Whitlock, and um, you can catch me on Twitter trying to behave myself at Delano <laughs> Uh, Squires, D-E-L-A-N-O-S-Q-U-I-R-E-S. And um, thank you for having me, Pastor Joel. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. So uh, this, this is what I wanted to do. So I think I'm going to title this episode. It may, you know, sometimes I, I'll switch up the titles, you know, in the bottom of the ninth. But what I got as a placeholder right now is uh, butchered babies, harvested mm. eggs, rented wombs, and sterilized adolescents. And I got mm. that from you. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the recent articles that I read by you was fantastic. And you just talked about just the, you know, the upside down world that we're currently living in. And so I, I took a few quotes from this article and I, and I put them, they're, they're kind of out of order from the way that you wrote it. But some of the things that I just thought were so profound and, and insightful, um, but it, it does make sense if I just read it as a paragraph. But I was thinking, I, I just want to read line by line. And then, and then throw it to you and, okay. and get your thoughts. And then we can just kind of go back and forth. And, and I think we can, uh, I think there's some, just, there's some great stuff here from what you wrote. So, okay. all right. So let's just, let's just go ahead and start. So uh, I have parenthetically, because this is who you're talking about. But according to progressives, societies don't suffer from too much sin. Their problem is not enough Caesar. I mm. love that. Talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah, so so just for the, the, the larger context, I, I wrote this column Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, um, earlier this week, and it was really in response to Matt Walsh's, you know, film, What is That's a Woman, right. which everybody's talking about. And and for me, I started by saying, I, I thought the, the film was less about the question, what is a woman, or even the issue of transgenderism. It really was a, is a film about, about truth and the nature of truth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and whether there is such a thing as objective truth, uh, not that Matt Walsh was raising that question, but the people he was speaking to, it was clear that they don't believe that there's such a thing as objective truth. So, you know, once I got down to this, to the part that you quoted, um, I'm, I'm saying, you know, if humans don't believe that there's a creator who provides our, you know, objective standards of morality, um, then human flourishing is really about having the right people in power, right? This mm-hmm. is, this is, this is often, this is basically the progressive sort of leftist view of the world. Like it's, you need the right people in power, wielding power to get the type of outcomes that they want. So um, if it's about that, then it's not about human flourishing is not a function of sort of spiritual health. And that's why I said, you know, from their perspective, societies don't suffer from too much sin is not enough season, right? So it's, they, we don't have the right people in power. If, if we practice socialism, then we'll get it right. Everybody else has failed, right. but then we'll get it right. So, mm-hmm. um, but before that, and, and I hope I don't step on, 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 on your message, but before that paragraph, I said, the denial of objective truth is a rejection of God. Mm-hmm. And I say that there's a straight line from biological evolution. That's right. right. Yep. Arianism to political revolution to cultural devolution, devolution, right. devolution, right? So, right. And you know that's true because I'm a pastor. I know for a fact that is true because it rhymes. <laughs> it, <cannot be> <laughs> <laughs> it has was, to be true. That's the standard. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was telling somebody earlier, um, I said, like, when I write, I see myself as equal parts, <laughs> preacher, um, comedian, and rapper. There right? you go. So I have certain lines, and, and the preacher part, whenever I get a sort of, you know, I get going on my alliteration. I said, no, nah, that's, the, that's the preacher part of it coming. So, um, but so, yeah, but, but, so real quick, the, the line one more time was, there was a straight, is great line. There was a straight line from biological evolution to political revolution to cultural devolution. Go ahead. Correct. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, and, and I really believe that. And, and if for your sports fan viewers, it's almost like, you know, watching a, a pitcher throw a slider to a right-handed batter, it's, it's down and to the left. And, and that's how I would describe, you know, that line. So um, for people, again, who hold to that worldview, it's always about the people in power. And I, know, I don't know you've, particularly over like, let's say the last four years, that's all ev- everyone wants to talk about, even in, in Big Eva. It's about power. Who has the power? Who's wielding the power? And um, well, that was James Cone with Black Liberation Theology. You know, like that infamous clip where he's like, "I know," you know, he's like, "I know there are problems in the black church, but uh, you know, people ask me why I always talk about harp on the white church because they got more power." (laughs) You know, is the way he said, and that that was his whole thing. It was like, "Who has power?" Correct. Correct. So, so yeah. So that that's that was that line about sin versus Caesar. Cool. So let, let's let's explore that a little bit more because here, here are some of the thoughts that I had. So societies don't suffer uh, too, from too much sin. Their problem is not enough Caesar. And I think that like that's so insightful, but it gets into who is Caesar? What's the purpose of Caesar? You know, like what, what, so what, what does the Bible say about Caesar? But then also what, what do progressives, what do they say about Caesar? What, how do they define Caesar? Because, because when I look at that, I think, well, the reason, so it's, it's funny, it's like the opposite. Of course, it's the opposite of, of God's truth and what we believe from the scripture. But we would say, uh, because societies suffer from so much sin, that's mm-hmm. the whole reason why we need a Caesar. Right? That, that Caesar is appointed by God um, to, to punish the evildoer. Um, he bears the sword. He has a ministry of coercion. 
um, mm. that, that, you know, we always think of coercion in, in a negative way, but there are proper instances where, where yes, you, you are allowed to coerce um, to, to a minor, and it must be always the objective is love, but to a minor degree, there is a sense of coercion even within the sovereign sphere of the home. Mm-hmm. To, to the parent is given the rod, right? And regardless of your views on spanking and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. uh, the, the point is this, um, parents are physically larger than their kids, Especially, you know, I'm talking about little little kids. Right, right, and there are right. times where that kid is throwing a tantrum and blue in their face. They're arching the back, you know, and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what what do you do? Do you just sit there and attempt to persuade? No, there are times where you coerce. You pick up the child, you put them in their crib or in their bed, and like, all right, you know, we got to calm down. You know, like it's not just. So so my point is, there are ministries, you know, with with the home, the church, and the state, where God does give a a coercive tool, not just a persuasive yeah. tool, the rod and the sword are both coercive tools, uh, but if they're used properly by the proper party, right, not a vigilante, but but the state, you know, the, the father in the home and, and the civil magistrate and the state using the right tool by the right person for the right things, then then that is appropriate. So for us, we, we say, okay, because there's so much sin in societies, that's the whole reason why we have Caesar to begin with. And because Caesar is a part of society, he himself is a sinner, which is why we have multiple Caesars and not just one, right? Checks and balances and three branches of government right. and outside of Caesar. That's why we have three sovereign spheres and Caesar is just one of them. And then we have the home and the church to also kind of help with, with this, this checks and balances. And so for us, it's like, because of sin, that's the whole reason why we have Caesar. So in the progressive mindset of societies don't suffer, as you wrote, societies don't suffer from too much sin. Their problem is not enough Caesar. And I guess my, my question is, if the society doesn't have a sin problem, why do they need more Caesar? I mean, that, that's a great question. I, I think part of the problem is um, we have a, a deformed, unbiblical relationship with government. Um, and, and I say that because you, you, you talked about the, th- the three spheres, right? So um, God has given the rod to, to parents in the home and the keys to the church and then the sword to, to the state. Mm-hmm. But when you accept that the government, the state, is is a God king, right? When you treat them in that way. Like Jeremy Boring? <laughs> right? yeah, no, I got you. When you treat when you when you look when you treat government in that way, and I would say in American culture, we we've been there for quite some time, where I think oftentimes both parties, but particularly on the left, it's like the government plays the role of dad, it mm-hmm. plays the role of God, mm-hmm. um, from their perspective, obviously, obviously it, it doesn't in in reality. So what you end up doing is putting all of the responsibilities that belong to parents in the home, and you say. That's the government's responsibility. Mm. The responsibilities that belong to the church in terms of spiritual formation and discipleship, that's the government's responsibility. So when you have, you know, these these things, whether it's the mass shootings or anything like that, that pops up, the response is always more government. If we pass new laws, more more laws, if we had, you know, new uh, government agencies, we would finally be able to tackle this issue. And I think that this perspective comes from a, from a deformed worldview. Um, it's a materialist worldview. And, and, I, and I've noticed this even within the church that, I'll, I'll give this example, even 
you know, with uh, the abortion, the Dobbs decision that was hopefully going to be handed down that overturns Roe versus Wade, I saw commentary from the ERLC, from the Ann campaign, from a number of mm-hmm. self-described Christian, evangelical, conservative sort of commentators. And whenever they talked about a post-Roe world, they would talk about the need for Christians to do more, support mothers, and okay, that's fine. And then it would go to, and you know, more funding and for more programs for you know moms and and I said okay, and then I, I was I was I'd be listening for the last shooter drop, right? And not a single one used the, the words marriage, father, father, yeah. husband, responsibility, and I and I think um, a lot of times people talk about you know cultural Marxism and CRT. But I think that Marxian worldview, the, the materialist worldview, the one that says if man's of all of man's needs were met, then we could eliminate all pain and suffering and sin and evil. That has that has taken hold in the church a lot more than I think we're we're really ready to uh, acknowledge. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, I, I think I think that's right on. So societies don't suffer uh, from too much sin. Their problem is not enough Caesar. For us, we would say uh, Caesar because because we would say the only purpose for Caesar is because societies. Uh, because societies uh, possess sin and and societies with that sin often commit crimes and that's the pur- purpose of Caesars to punish those who do evil for them though they, they would say oh well well that's that's not what Caesar does it's not that Caesar punishes sin when sin becomes crime uh, but rather what Caesar does is he he um, he well let, let's we could say it like this uh, he he provides welfare um, hmm. he he uh, and basically what, the, what they'll do in a nutshell, what I'm getting at is um, uh, they will define Caesar the way the Bible defines fathers, mm-hmm. uh, the home. And then they'll define Caesar the way that uh, the Bible would define priest, um, you know, in the church, uh, elders and deacons. And they'll define. So for them, the reason why they, they're like, we need more Caesar um, is because they have no, in their worldview, their antithetical, you know, anti-to-God worldview, uh, because they hate God, they have no choice but to hate both the family and the church. The yes. only institution uh, divine, that is divinely instituted by God, uh, but the only institution that they don't hate is, is the state. And so, so when they think, you know, um, they, you know, societies don't suffer from too much sin, but they do suffer from, uh, from pain and from mm-hmm. tragedy and uh, hunger and need, right? Societies have, and, and we would say, and why is that? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, let's connect that dot. Just go, you're, you're almost there. Keep going, keep going. You yeah, can make it. Yeah. But, they, but they would say, you know, uh, the, the lack and, and the poverty and, and this and that is all hanging in midair. It's not rooted in sin. No, 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 no. It's not because of sin. It's just, it's, it, it is because of sin. They would say it is because of sin, but it's not because of society's sin. It's because right. of, of a few, few individuals in society, a certain group in society. And so we need Caesar to punish them and right. provide for us, punish right. them and provide for us. Whereas we would say, well, Caesar does need to punish those who do evil, but that has to be de- you know, defined by the Bible, Correct. Um, not, not progressive politics, uh, those who actually do evil. And then Caesar doesn't provide. Um, that's, that's what fathers, fathers in the home 
um, provide. And even I, I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed a lot of people saying, well, we wouldn't need the state, you know, uh, doing all these things and welfare and blah, 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 and this bloated state, you know, that's got its hand in this and hand in that. If, uh, if the church, and, and I always just want to stop people right there and just say, okay, um, biblically, yeah, the church does some of that. Um, but biblically, the, out of these three spheres of the home, the church, and the state, uh, the, the, first, the first guardrail, the first line of defense is not the church when it comes mm. to meeting, when it comes to provision, when it comes mm. to providing for the first line of defense <clears throat> is the family. The well, Bible does not say it's first the church. Look at First Timothy chapter five. This list of, you know, do not admit, you know, a widow to this list of widows that the church is going to care for, um, unless she's sixty-five years of, of age, unless she's been married once, right? Mm-hmm. Not not multiple husbands, not adulteress. Not she needs to have been faithful. Uh, she has no husband to care for her. Um, she has no grown sons that are mm-hmm. able to care for her. She has. So basically, what what the apostle Paul is saying to Timothy is uh, before the church helps someone, and not just the poor because uh, they're poor because of their sin, because they're lazy or this. No, but first, is this someone who's actually poor, helplessly poor, like a widow or an orphan? So first, it's not just the poor, but it's what I would call the helpless poor. And then second, is there anyone in their family that can help them? If so, they need to do it and don't burden the church. And if not, if the first line of defense, the family, that's the first place we look, then we'll help them with the church. But even with the church, do they belong to the church? Are they faithful? Right. It's not like that, you know, with, with the early book of Acts, they shared everything in common and no one had need among them. They did not eradicate poverty in the city of Jerusalem. They right. eradicated poverty in the church in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, even the, the, you know, the Jewish historian Josephus, he said, it's a very peculiar thing that a person uh, could virtually become rich overnight simply by joining the ranks of the church. But mm. even Josephus recognized uh, there's a condition. You must belong to the household of faith. Paul says right. in Galatians, right? As often you have opportunity to do good to all, but especially that is prioritized the household of faith. And although Christ is infinite, his church here on earth is finite, meaning right. that as often as you have opportunity comes into play in almost every single scenario. How much opportunity do we have? We've got to prioritize. We've got to pick and choose. We pick the faithful over the faithless. So all that being said, my, my point is to say that, um, you know, people say, well, we wouldn't have a bloated state. And we wouldn't have welfare. And we wouldn't have the state doing this and that if the church hadn't failed. And I would say, uh, I, I think the church has failed. Uh, don't make no mistake. But I think one of the chief ways the church failed is in, in discipling men so yes. that the family wouldn't fail. Uh, you got any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you were on when you were speaking just now. I thought about one of the things that I learned in Sunday school many, many moons ago, growing up. And um, the 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 brother who taught our Sunday school class would tell you know me and my friends, was four of us. Um, he I remembered clearly. He said, you know, a man that doesn't take care of his household is worse. And he used the word infidel, mm-hmm. right? Scriptures use unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And that was seared into our minds. And we, all of us grew up in households with our married parents or our dads were all around, but even the old, the the men, our father's peers who were discipling us and teaching us, that was one of the things that they drilled into our minds. It was, you know, the, the notion that I would discharge that responsibility onto the state is just something I can't wrap my my mind around. Um, And, and as a, and not as a one-time Oh, I need you know the social safety net, but as a as a as a way of doing business for an entire community or entire city or entire nation is not something that I would ever subscribe to. So, so yeah, I, I'm I, I agree with you. I think 
the church has done a poor job of discipling. And, and I'll, I will say this. Um, when I see Christian leaders who, who talk a lot about, you know, social justice or equity or racial justice, who spend more time, partic- particularly as, as it relates to on the race aspect, when they spend more time talking about what white conservative Christians think and say and do more so than what uh, black men, men like myself, what our responsibilities are as men, as the same as yours would be to your family, when, when they spend more time thinking about what you think more so than what I do, I have a problem with that. Mm. Because these are, these are some pastors, you know, who, who have platforms and they could say, hey, black men, you, we're, we're all the same. Like every man has a responsibility to his own household. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what somebody else in, you know, Des Moines or Duluth or wherever you, you live in Philadelphia, you live in Washington, DC, you need to take care of your, your, your own business first before you blame somebody else for your material condition. So that's one of those things that really aggravates me because it's a missed opportunity. And it's not just a race thing because I would argue that men in general in this country and particularly young men are struggling. I don't think it's any coincidence that you see these mass shooters oftentimes a teenage boys who are disaffected and disconnected sometimes because they don't have a relationship with their dad or a good relationship with their mom for that matter. And sometimes, you know, they, they may live in the house with both parents, but so many parents are, are busy, you know, with their own lives, their own social media, you know, profiles and own jobs and you know, whatever other responsibilities they have that they are not minding the store mm-hmm. and don't realize that they're, the teenagers being radicalized online. Right. So um, when I think about the young guys, you know, the kids 14, 15, 16 that are coming up, it, it's hard to see what, you know, what, what their, what their future will look like because they're growing up in a, in a world that doesn't, can't even define the words man and woman. Right. Right. And they're being told constantly that their masculinity, the, the way God made them, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get that from the church. And I, and, I, and I think that's one of those ways in which the church has failed to properly disciple all of its members, but particularly um, young men. I agree. So one of the next things you wrote in your article, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm putting a couple of statements together here, but you said, okay. they believe the desires of adults should always take precedent over the, de- uh, the needs of children. The desires of adults should always take precedence over the needs of children. This is the dystopian future of butchered babies, harvested eggs, rented wombs, and sterilized adolescents. I, I think that's really well said, this, especially let's start with that first half of uh, the desires of adults taking precedence over the needs of children. Because the result of that is the dystopian future of butchered babies, harvested eggs, rented wombs, and sterilized mm-hmm. adults. But uh, mm-hmm. ta- ta- talk about that for a little bit, this idea of adults and their desires trumping the needs of kids. Sure. and I, I think the easiest way to, to see that, particularly in the last two years, is um, the way that uh, so many schools shut down mm. and refuse to open up for for kids and sometimes you know low income kids who who really needed the in person instruction 
And even after a time when everybody else went to work, right, the grocery stores were running, the, the, the Uber Eats guys were, were driving around, and you heard some teachers still saying that they couldn't, they couldn't go back and they, they were too afraid. That's right. Now, they're not afraid. They're not too afraid to go to Mardi Gras or Puerto Rico or wherever. Mm-hmm. But when it came to going back in the classroom, it was like, oh, we're scared. And, and I think um, that was one of the ways in which you saw it in terms of, you know, adults saying, well, we're not going to go back into the classroom until every kid is vaccinated. But it's like, well, every kid can't, you know, get the shot. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one way. But um, the other way, and this ties into the second part that you wrote, that you read, excuse me, <laughs> you is, <wrote. laughs> yeah. um, is, is this is part of what we talk about. And I think we talked about this our first conversation. Mm-hmm. When you have, you know, two men who get the eggs of one, uh, one woman and then put them in two separate women so that they can create children that are related through the mom who's not part of the relationship and not by the de- this this type of um, arrangement, this modern family, quote unquote, is part of that dystopian future that I'm talking about, which actually is a dystopian present where it's it's not about the, a child's right to have That's their right. mother and father You're right. according to God's natural design for the family. It's about um, adults, whether it's two men or two women, uh, who say that my desire to be a parent trumps their desire to have both parents. That's right. Um, and, and it's easy to see in the, in the case of you know, same-sex couples, and, and again, whether it's two men or two women. But even, honestly, uh, I'm starting to see this even with some, some women, college-educated, upperly mobile women who say, look, I want the carriage, but I don't want the marriage. So I'll just, I'll just have a baby with a guy, and I'll raise the kid by myself because that's what I want to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm empowered, and I can do whatever I want. And to me, that type of selfishness is really um, eroding you know, our, our society, because eventually those kids, yes, they're cute and cuddly early on. But again, when you have a young man who grows up and you realize his father's nowhere to be found, that has a profound effect on him. Mm. And I don't care what color he is. Um, and sometimes, you know, they're, they're sort of mediating factors if, you know, he has extended family and a granddad and uncles that can, that can sort of address that. But but even with that, that I've, I've been thinking about the grandfathers and the uncles and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's the um, that is the privilege of um, of yesteryear's conservative biblical worldview. Agreed. Like we're not. I mean, you think you think twenty thirty years down the line, if there's not reformation in our nation, uh, there won't there won't be the grand the grandfathers and stuff. Like so, like even when you. When you look at Hollywood and different movies and they portray, you know, like this young, you know, same sex, you know, couple or whatever. And like, but it's always in the context, in the larger context, on the backdrop of a, of a stable, traditional family with, mm. with grandma and grandpa, not grandma mm-hmm. and grandma, but grandma 
and grandpa and this and that and part of the mm. only reason why this and yeah you know one of the big plots mm. in the movie is going to be like how they you know at first they don't really like this idea of you know this the same sex you know marriage and blah, blah blah but the and you know and they're eventually won over and stuff but here's the thing like you know so so the the whole part of the movie is like all right so there's this you know this 21 year old girl and and she falls in love with another girl you know and then she's introducing that girl to her family and they want to get married they want to start you know modern family and all this kind of stuff and you know and and grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, you know, and all these people are slow on the uptake, you know, but they eventually come around and there's this mm-hmm. love and support. But, but what's not discussed in the movie is that, um, that she has this safety net, this, this larger extended family safety net because the rest of her family has adhered to the traditional model of family, <clears throat> the traditional yeah. view of family. What happens 20, 30 years down the line, if we keep going this direction and, and there is no grandma and grandpa, um, it's, it's mm. grandpa and grandpa who let's, let's face it, statistically aren't together anymore. They're divorced. Correct. Correct. Right? Statistically they're, they're divorced. And, you know, and then there's, you know, there, there's, you know, uncle this and like there, there is the whole family fabric goes away. So now as you're trying to have your modern family, you have, you don't have anything to rely on. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is I think part of the re- the only reason why this same sex mirage has gotten as far as it has is because it's been borrowing the strength of traditional biblical marriage that surrounds mm. it. You know what I mean? And if it had yeah. to stand on its own two feet, it, it would be decimated in, in about 15 minutes. And, 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 I, and that's one of the things I said um, in terms of the, I said that, that leftist dogma is in, a, is, in a, is in a death spiral, right? So everything it touches as it relates to the value of life, um, sex, sexuality, marriage, and family is, leads to death, right? So you know, the scriptures, obviously, you know, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And that, that, that multiplication requires a male and female. That's the only combination that does it. And marriage provides the ideal context for that, for, for the provision and protection of women and, and dependent children. Um, and again, scripture declares that the value of life is inherent because of our creator. Mm-hmm. But leftism is a completely counter worldview. So particularly where we are right now, you're talking about, you know, a left, the left that says abortion up until birth should be law, should be codified into law. Yeah. They think toddlers can change their gender and the family structures that they, that they like promoting cannot produce offspring without external assistance. They can rent the eggs, but they can't create the babies. So where God says, be fruitful and multiply, they say, you know, be fruitless and destroy. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, even conservatives have to have, have get their mind around because I think f- most people, they say, oh, well, it's two people, it's a loving home for a child and so on and so forth. But again, when, whenever you try to def- defy, deny and defy God's design, for the world that he created, you run yourself into trouble. And, and I've said this before, I'm not sure if we talked about it the first time, but one of the most interesting things is that even in, in that context, um, I have never seen, and if I have, it's rare to ever see two uh, butch lesbian women together. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
it is always one, you know, masculine looking lesbian mm-hmm. and one feminine. So even though there, obviously there's still two women and I, I know the, 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 the L's and the G's need sex to be real in order for, for what they do to, to make sense. The T's say, no, there's no such thing as gender. But it, it's always one masculine presenting woman and mm-hmm. one feminine presenting woman because even in their denial of God's design, there's a part of them that wants to recreate what it is that God put into this earth. Right. Um, and I, and I, f- I find that, that phenomenon fascinating. Well, they uh, say, no, you're right, because they still want to recognize God's design in the fabric of, of his world at large. They just, uh, it's a personal denial. It's, uh, it, doesn't, right. it doesn't apply to me. I'm an exception. Right. You know, and that was the original argument, right? The original argument with, you know, with homosexuality and lesbianism and all these kind of things was that people are born this way and we need to make room for them. And, you know, it's, it was the same argument as abortion, right? Safe, mm-hmm. legal, and rare. Right. Rare. So it's this it's this rare kind of thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. three percent of the population, you know, or less. And and it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do about it. This wasn't mm-hmm. a choice. Right. That was the whole mantra. It's not my choice. It's not a choice. You know, it's not a choice. This is the way I was born. And now we're told that, you know, sexuality is fluid and you can just, Correct. you know, on, on a whim, like now you can identify as a cheetah, you know, and like, you know, right. different. I mean, and so all that went out the window and we always knew it would, we, we knew that, okay, this is bogus, you know? Um, but the problem is, you know, we don't hold the line, you know, it's just like, no. you, you know, you say, you say, this is a slippery slope, you know? And, uh, if you really believe that, then you know, then hold the line. Like there was, there were plenty of people saying this is going to happen. You know, give it ten years, give it. Now, a lot of people, I think, thought it would take a little bit longer than it did. It, it happened pretty quick. But yes. you know, but this this is the fr- transgenderism. I said, I think I said the other day on Twitter. I said, um, what did I say? Oh, I said, just as socialism is the foretaste of communism, so too um, egalitarianism is the foretaste of androgyny. And I said, AKA, um, the, the end result of feminism was always transgenderism. And, and, you know, and the feminists would, would object to that strongly and be offended by that, greatly offended by that, you know, um, cause the feminists, just like the lesbian, just like the, you know, they, they need, they need sex, biological sex to do what they do, you right. know, but, um, but I, I think that the, the, the end result of feminism was always going to be transgenderism. People want, it's like basically like people, they want to rebel against God, but only so far. And, and, mm. and the, the irony is that even their rebellion, even, even the enjoyment, the pleasure of their rebellion relies mm. upon God's goodness and grace. Mm. Um, so it's like this idea of, you know, like we're constantly, it's, it's like we're, we're constantly relying on, on God's common grace uh, to even to enjoy our sin. You know, and like, how, what an irony, what an, what an irony that, that that is, is that I don't want to submit and obey. I don't yeah. want to, to be subjugated to the Lordship of Christ. I want to rebel against him, but I still want all his benefits. I still want to yeah. live in his world and I still want to be able to see his sunrise in the morning and appreciate the stars at night that he made. And I still, you know, in general, I need this, these kinds of, you know, this binary sexual thing for all this to work, you know, and then somebody comes and say that praise God for the transgender. Seriously. I, I feel like in some, in his God's providence in his sovereign will, not his moral will, but his sovereign will, it's an answer to prayer. Maybe not the answer that we wanted, but it's doing the job. You know, the, the transgender comes in and, 
and just shows you just right down the line, Leah Thomas, hulking dude, beating girls, you know, they're crying <laughs> as they're getting demolished in swim meets. And, and it's like God's, you know, it's like God's way of saying, um, this is, you can't, you can't have a halfway house between heaven and hell mm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and that's what feminism is. That's what egalitarianism is. That's what socialism is. That's what, you know, and all these things, socialism leads to communism, um, you know, egalitarianism, androgyny, you know, feminism, the end result is ironic as it may sound is transgenderism. There is no halfway yeah. house between heaven and hell. You either have Christ or you will have chaos. Chaos. Yeah. So back to you, but th- those are some of my thoughts on that. It's, yeah. I, I think, um, that point is, is fascinating. Again, when people, these people try to subvert God's nature and they, they still end up um, submitting to it. And, and particularly the trans, on the trans side, I think of all the feminists who spent decades telling women that, you know, marriage is oppressive mm-hmm. and that men are oppressive and, you know, you make your own money, you don't need a husband, a woman needs a husband like a, a fish needs a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the trans issue. And now you have women who've built an entire career on, on womanhood and saying, look, I've suffered sex discrimination and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a, I am woman, hear me roar. Right. And then here come the guys saying, hey, no, I am woman. I'm the new, you know, new gal on the block. Mm-hmm. And all of the, the feminists, the pro-women, you know, activists now have to sit on their hands and be quiet. And so I, I said in one of my other articles, these women, the most powerful women in the country, have finally found a group of men that they can submit to. Because, <laughs> well because said. when Leah Thomas speaks, <laughs> right? That's right. When when Dr. Uh, Dr. Rachel Levine That's right. from Health uh, Health and Human Services, Admiral, excuse me, no disrespect, Admiral right. Rachel Levine. Right. All of the women in, in media and in business. Um, and entertainment and journalism and politics have to conform. They have to call Leah Thomas she and Caitlyn Jenner she. They mm-hmm. have to. Um, right. So again, they they it's just a matter of that choosing is, which man. which man you're going to submit to. That's right. It's not whether, but which man. But, that, right. is, that is so well said, Delano. I love that. <laughs> the feminists have finally found a man that they can submit to. It's yeah. a transgender woman. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is, man, that's God's irony right there. Yeah. That's yeah. well said, brother. All right. Um, so let, let's, let's do that. Here's one more line that I just thought was mm-hmm. fantastic because we already kind of hit the, the last one of the, the straight line from the biological evolution to the political revolution to the cultural devolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this one was really good too. You just said, Charles Darwin would probably describe this entire agenda as artificial selection. Because there is nothing natural about a species that sees the death and destruction of its own young as a sign of social progress. I thought that was really good because we're basically we're we're heading towards. Well, I don't I don't actually think we are, and we can get to that in a moment because I, I I think there's a lot of hope. But if if left to ourselves, we are heading towards the destruction of the entire human species, and and that's not going to happen because praise God, there are you know people in other nations that haven't lost their mind. This is one of the first Correct. times where, where France, you know, <laughs> saying, uh, we don't want, uh, please don't export those American ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. When Europe is saying, okay, guys, that's too far. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. You know, so most of the world is not, is not Ooh. as crazy as, uh, and, and America is not as crazy as, 
parts of America, you know, are right now. And I think that America is pushing back. But my point is, if that was, though, if that was the status quo and that was the direction Mm -hmm. that humanity as a whole was heading, it would be absolutely, as you said, it would be the end of our species and it wouldn't be natural selection. It would be artificial selection. So you got any more thoughts on that? I thought that was well written. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, And I've thought of it this way. I've done sort of like a thought exercise that if you put a hundred healthy, virile men on an island, Mm. right? Peak condition, the top athletes from all the major sports leagues. And then you put a hundred transgender women under the guise that trans women are women, right? Which is what I hear from. A hundred Bruce Jenners and then a hundred Caitlyn Jenners. There you go. There you go. (laughs) In a hundred years, everybody be dead. That's right. Not a single child will be born. And the entire experiment on that island would would uh, collapse and it would just be wasteland so so that tells me that these people and again they they don't they don't have a biblical worldview they they have a darwinian worldview Mm. and they believe in in natural selection and that's why i said but this is artificial selection because you you are making it so that you're sterilizing your young um and and i think it it's worth pointing out these things because, and, th- and I'll tie this to, you know, a larger political point. Um, what we're talking about here, this is a civilizational issue, right? The, the very, I don't care what tribe, what country, what ethnicity, what language, what religion, the sole, the single most important purpose of any generation is to propagate the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Believer or unbeliever alike, it's the same, it's the same deal. But when you have some significant number of your adolescents who have been functionally sterilized and then some other number who are confused about the way reproduction takes place, you're going to have some serious issues, right? right? And this is one of the things that aggravates me is that you have conservative Christian commentators who will use the term the big lie to describe the former president's views on the 2020 election. Right. Now, you may disagree with his, his views, which you know everybody has a right to agree or disagree, but that's an election cycle issue. That's, you know, four years will pass and nobody will think about it. Four years will pass and Trump will be president again. <laughs> and he very well might. Maybe, maybe. But, but what I'm saying is when you use big lie for something so small and insignificant, mm-hmm. And then turn around and if your former president, SBC, say that you believe in pronoun hospitality right. when it comes to people who are gender confused, mm. your priority is completely out of whack. You are right. right? So that's, that's one of my problems. It's like, no, if you're a Christian conservative in the public, in the public uh, square and you think that the 2020 election is a bigger issue than the the confusion and perversion and, and destruction of our children mm-hmm. then you're not somebody that i can really trust right, right. you you are a bad watchman that's um right. because you're looking out for the for the wrong enemy and and i think that's something so so in my mind i, I was actually going to create a twitter poll the other day i, I decided against it but I'll, it's just you and i talking so we'll just talk <laughs> yeah just I, you I and i and maybe a yeah. couple thousand people who right. watching it so be careful but i thought to myself i, I said I wonder which one, which one of the, the next two phrases, the following phrases, is more indicative of 
sort of the compromise of the conservative Christian commentator. Mm. Pronoun hospitality or blessing of liberty when it relate, as it relates to drag queen story hour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because both of those show that the, the people uttering those phrases simply do not understand the times in which we live, right? right. So, and, and I see this as someone, you know, who, who read David French a couple of years ago when he was in National Review and, and appreciate his perspective. Didn't always agree, but I, but I, I appreciate his perspective and, I, and I, I agree with a lot of what he said. But I'm to the point now where, I mean, okay, by the time you get to your 20th, Trump voters are bad and, and potential, right. potentially insurrectionist you know, articles. So we get the point. But when you, when you, then you turn around and you go in a different publication and you nuance the issue of transgenderism to death, I think believers get, get you know, get the message. You tickle to the left and you throw haymakers to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. it shows what you think the, the uh, priorities are or should be as it relates to the culture and the church. And um, that, that type of leadership is not serving anyone, especially not in 2022. I completely agree. Well said. Uh, you know, I, I've said this before, so some of our listeners may be familiar with this, but I, I think there's there's a fine line. I may have said it to you before, but uh, I think there's a fine line between um, pushing back the curse that is on nature because of the fall, because of sin, yeah. and then trying to push back against nature itself. Hmm. So I'll, I'll say there's a, there's a fine line between pushing back against the curse that is on nature mm-hmm. and pushing back against nature itself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, somebody cures cancer. Um, cancer is not nature. Cancer happens within nature and mm-hmm. it happens in natural causes. But we know from a biblical perspective that, that, that cancer is not nature in the sense that it is not, it is not in align with God's good and original design. It Correct. is not pre-fall. Um, you know, it is not a prelapsarian, you know, design of God. Um, it is, it's a bug. It's not the feature. It's, it's the curse that nature is under. And so when we look at, at nature as Christians and mm-hmm. really just as image bearers of the living God, believers and unbelievers alike, we should be able to fairly easily detect because of natural revelation and natural law, that's Romans 1 and Romans 2, natural law written on our hearts, we should be able to pretty easily, quickly, immediately detect uh, what is good and what is evil, what is uh, in line with the good, the true, and the beautiful, in line with mm-hmm. God's nature as he intends it, and what is the curse that was unintended, as it were, mm-hmm. I think ordained by God, but unintended, the curse that is placed upon nature because of our sin. And, and my point is this, um, when you're curing cancer, you're pushing back on the curse. When you're trying to extend human lifespans, I think you are pushing back on the curse. Uh, when you and we can go on and on. When you're building suspension bridges, you know, and when you're you're doing plumbing and running water, and when you all these different things, you are pushing back on the curse. When you're building ships and trying to get us to Mars, even that, it's like, well, that's that's fighting against nature. No, I, I don't think it is. I, I I think that that's still something that God permits, and I think it is commendable and all these. But when you're trying to change gender. Mm-hmm. Um, you're no longer pushing back because because that right there, it's what it what it is essentially saying subconsciously for the progressive is they're saying that, that the binary gender system is not nature, 
but a curse that nature right. is under. Whereas we would say, no, 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 man and woman, let, grab your Bible. Uh, so Genesis 3, that's the fall. Genesis 1 and 2, everything up till then, that's mm-hmm. that's good. And so my, my point is, when you push back the cur- against the curse on nature, uh, that's we call that work human work and it comes mm. with with blood sweat and tears and frustration and exasperation at times but by god's grace for for the believer and in god's common grace even for the unbeliever we can experience progress we can experience success as we push back against the curse upon mm. nature but when you push back against nature itself that's mm. the that is the basic plot line of every horror movie that's ever been made you know that's jurassic park that's you know right. like i mean when you push back against the you know not the curse on nature but 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 nature itself nature wins nature wins and Absolutely. and nature wins because God wins and God has, has programmed this software. You know, it's like, you know, like the matrix or whatever, like this, this program that we're living in God's world has been programmed in such a way that um, some things, you know, some rules can be bent and some can be broken, you know, like, you know, like Morpheus kind of thing. Like, well, yeah, some not rules, not God's rules, but some bugs, some curses, you Mm -hmm. know, can, can, can be defeated and pushed back and you can do this and you can do that. But there are certain things that are built into the, the, just the, the hardware of the system that you try, you try to, you try to push back on those. Uh, you won't break those rules. Those rules will break, break you. you. Yeah, I, I heard, um, you know, Doug Wilson saying one of his recent um, blog and May blog entries that uh, that nature has a nature, right? So it's one of those things where, you know, we 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 think that we can make make up new rules, but God has built order. Um, and sustainability into his creation, um, it, and, and which is which is why um, I, you know as I as I get older and grow in my faith, and and I I listen to the arguments from from the atheists and the secularists, and they all come up short. I, I I took my family. We went to the Natural History Museum. We live outside of D.C. And um, I was looking at one of the exhibits, and it said something to the effect of. Um, you know, after millions of years or billions of years of life, mm-hmm. um, I think it was like evolution s- suddenly sprang forth. So I said, those two words don't really <laughs> go together. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. You, you evolve suddenly. Okay. So it, it's one of those things where sometimes if I, if I were to ask the question or explain it to someone, a lay person, I would say, looking at this created world and thinking that all of this took place from some cosmic accident with just the right mix of, of, um, of, of chemicals and matter mm-hmm. at just the right temperature for just the right amount of time would be, and thinking that from, from all of that chaos, you can get this, this order, this level of order would be like going into a house in the mountains and seeing a fully baked cake and assuming that it resulted from somebody tossing a few eggs, some flour, some sugar, and some milk on the wall millions of years ago. Right. And, you know, the house was just at the right temperature and out popped the cake. 
Right. Yeah, you and, could think that. Yeah, which is insane. And then you'd also have to ask, and where did the sugar and the flour and the eggs Correct. come from? <laughs> you know, Correct. Because so, you have Correct. to believe that matter is eternal, right? So is either God is eternal or matter is eternal. Something has to be eternal because nothing can come from nothing. Exactly. So, so it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I listen to the arguments from the unbelievers and they all come up short, mm-hmm. which, which actually only strengthens my faith and my resolve, particularly as it relates to the public square. So as they prattle on and they, and they push their false gospel, I say, at the very least, I can, I can argue from, from my position uh, from, from the word. Amen. Well said. All right. Well, that's, uh, I think that's a great place for us to include. Any, any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Um, I mean, I, I think I, I just see now more than ever um, the need for the church to be the church mm-hmm. um, and to apply. I mean, I, obviously I'm talking to the right guy. Theology applied. Correct. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's one thing to say, well, the Bible teaches in Genesis one twenty seven that God created male and female. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can all agree on that. But then when people sit in the pews and they think about having to go to work on Monday and they got a memo the previous Friday that says that Jill has now transitioned into Jim and wants to use he, him pronouns. And then they're thinking, okay, well, how do I address that? I know Jill is not a man. He's not a man. She is not a man, right? She is a woman. A lot of people don't know how to deal with those things. And that's why when, when I heard J.D. Greer use the term pronoun hospitality, I was so disappointed because all it does is add more confusion into the body. So I think right. um, now is the time for, for faithful believers to stand on, on the word of God like they've never stood before and 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 deliver it in, with a sense of, of, of grace and, and, and gentleness and kindness, but understand that the world, they don't hate us for a lack of winsomeness. They hate us for the message that we bring. So That's right. That's right. Um, it's not how we say it. Certainly, correct. The Bible speaks to how we say things. Correct. But first and foremost, the Bible speaks to what we say. Correct. What are we saying? That's why, that's why they hate us. They hate us not yeah. because of the, our methods. They hate us because of the message. Because of our message. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I would say that, and I think... We and, and I'm sure you you hear this and say this all the time. This this country, this world is in need of of spiritual transformation because, mm-hmm. um, as I said, the, the 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 things are not looking good right now. I mean, I do I do have hope. I'm, uh, I pray that again, believers stay uh, faithful and and understand that yes, some people will say they're going to deconstruct their faith, um, but if they went out from among us. Yeah, they were right. never they, one of us. They were, they were never right. with us in the beginning. So, so yeah, so I, I think I, I would leave it there just, just to encourage the saints, encourage the body, um, and just continue to be faithful regardless of what may come. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Uh, some of my favorite oxymorons, hospitality pronouns, <laughs> uh, evolve suddenly. And, right. uh, and jumbo right. shrimp. That's another right, 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 right. Yeah, right. hospitality pronouns. Uh, lo- yeah. Loving lies, right? That's just right. That's, that's what it is. It's just an oxymoron, right. and we need to be. But that's applying your theology to be able to point that out. Why is that wrong? Because it can sound. Right. It sounds nice, but being able to say 
hospitality. What is hospitality? How does the Bible Correct. define hospitality? Okay, like um, you know, and and then and then what do you mean when you say pronouns? Like okay, but this is this is ontologically false. This is not this is not true. And so you're saying that there is a warm and welcoming way to lie, mm. right? Because that's because pronoun is just a placeholder for lie. Hospitality is you know loving and welcoming. So so welcoming loving lies. Oh, okay. Do I have a biblical category for that? No, <laughs> no. Right. Right. I mean, I do. That's exactly what false teachers do. False right. teachers have smooth speech. See, that's the funny thing is like we talk about, you know, the methods and the me- message, you know, the how, you know, how we say things and what we say, but the false teachers are always the one who had smooth and flattering speech, mm-hmm. but, but the contents of their message mm-hmm. was poison. Poison. Whereas, right. whereas the apostles were the ones who, yes, God cares about how we say things. Correct. But they often were the ones who, were, they're always the ones who were indicted as, you know, Paul, one who stirs up riots. He's a, <laughs> he's a rioter. He's harsh. Mm-hmm. He's harsh. But what he said is true. And when Paul talks about those who bring division in the church, he always, he always indicts the person who introduces error. He does not, right. he does not indict the person who, who doesn't have perfect tone. Even though Paul does talk about tone and gentleness, opposing your, um, um, correcting those who oppose you, you know, with gentleness, not knowing if God may grant them repentance, that they may turn after having been captive, taken captive by the devil. So I'm not saying the Bible says nothing about our tone. But the Apostle Paul, he always indicts the false teachers who ironically have the allegedly best tone, the smooth right. tone, the flattering tone, which is why they often win over weak-willed women. Correct. Who, who, who? Their biggest, you know, virtue is empathy. An empathetic president. Mean tweets. I, I would rather the entire world <laughs> go to hell in a handbasket if we can right. have nicer tweets. And right. here you go. Here's your there free you two-year trial. Um, mm. Let's let's do better in November. So, mm. all right. Well, thanks, Delano. I appreciate you coming on the show. God bless you, brother. And uh, to all our listeners, I hope that you guys were blessed. Also, how can uh, our listeners follow you? Um, they can follow me on Twitter at Delano Squires, D-E-L-A-N-O-S-Q-U-I-R-E-S. And uh, check me out twice a week on Fearless with Jason Whitlock on The Blaze. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.